There we go. Good morning again. How are we doing? That wasn't too bad. How many are really busy in your life? Just crazy busy right now. Just crazy, crazy contractors and workers. But how many are just kind of coasting along, you know? You're, yeah. Oh, how do you do it? You're in school, though. We're all different, aren't we? Just built, you know, just, just some of us are high energy. Some of us are high maintenance. Some of us are low maintenance. Whatever. I'm not picking on anybody. God loves you. You. And he's got a plan for you. You belong to him when you say, Jesus, I need you. You become his son or daughter. And now you your future is bright. Heaven awaits. But see, we lose track. We lose sight. Later in the book of Hebrews, we we're going to zoom in on that whole fixing our eyes on Jesus thing. We were doing pretty good until we were, we were walking on the water. Peter was, you know, just... It's easy to get down over the world and how the world is going, how everything is coming and moving. We've got to watch our steps as we step over. There's a future for our kids because Jesus is. Get a hold of that. Today, we've been going through Hebrews, and you know, he's, we, we joked about the first coffee in the Bible. Yeah. You know what? Hebrews. Well, come on. You haven't heard that? What? You know the first uh, car in the Bible? They were all in one accord. You remember that one? Well, my mother-in-law came to see me this couple days. And so we're looking forward to apple pie, chicken dinners. She's got, she's got it on her schedule. That's the requirement. No, actually, we, 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 don't, we don't have the author's we're say of Hebrews, but we know God wrote the book. Right? He wrote the whole Bible. How did he do it? He used men who are willing to be a vessel. All Scripture, says, is inspired by God. All Scripture. The Old Testament and New. The Hebrews has, has some dealings with the Old Testament that's kind of like, wow, So glad we don't have to bring animals to the church and lay them on the altar and do the stuff the Levites and the priests could in those days. But there's, there was a requirement.
we're going to kind of like dive into the eighth chapter because it's almost like the conclusion of the seventh chapter. And I'm just going to read some highlights, and I'm not going to camp long here in the eighth chapter because I want to get into the ninth chapter of Hebrews. I like how he says in verse one, now the main point. It's like, come on, preacher, get to the main point. What are you trying to say? What does this all mean? What is, what is really, what do we take home? And he says it this way. Now the main point is what has been said is this. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Who's the high priest? Jesus. A minister in the sanctuary in the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, not man. I love that. Old Testament, Moses' time. You know why Moses was on the mount for 40 days? It wasn't just to get the Ten Commandments. He got all the regulations and the specifics of ceremonial laws and Civil laws and tabernacle stuff. Directions. He got like the blueprint. Important. If you're going to build something, at least build, make a sketch. Some people like to make it as we make it up as you go along. And remember when you were kids, you built forts, you did stuff. No plan. Just get a get an idea and start banging nails to the board somewhere and just yeah, create. What is the main thing with God? What is the main? It's to know Jesus. It's to know Him for who He is. Not only your Savior, but He becomes your Lord. What does that mean? He becomes your leader, your director, orchestrating events in your life. You can look back, I'm sure, in your life at some point, somewhere, say, that was the Lord. That was the Lord. There He There was no, how did we get out of that alive? He's a I'm going to call this message a perfect priest. He's perfect because he's sinless. He walked where you and I walk in this world. He felt all the temptation that a man could feel, yet without sin. And the good news is that he lives on forever and doesn't have to be ever and never will be replaced. Old Testament... The priest would get old and die off. They had to replace them. There had to be a fresh supply coming along all the time to keep this thing going. Because Jesus is the beginning to the end, we can rest assured our future. Blessed are those 
are persecuted for my name's sake. For theirs is what? The kingdom. Even when you're persecuted, even when it's hard, even when you're tested and tried. The church needs to look to Jesus for, first and foremost to square up. How many of you contractors know what I'm talking about? How do you square a house? Well, you can do the 3, 4, 5, or you can do the 6, 8, 10. Or you can do the little book that I have that tells you all the squares, modules. Or you can do the computer thing. And, or you can just take your time and keep crisscross until you find exactly the same number, then you're right on. But where do we square up with Jesus? It's at the foot of the cross. Someone said the ground is level at the cross. I don't think you necessarily find that in the Bible. But what it's meaning is everyone has a potential to be saved. Good news. The gospel is good news because I can't save myself no matter how hard I try. But there's one who has paid the price. And so, the main point that the writer of Hebrews has been bringing out. Now, back a couple of chapters, we got into a man's name that was called Melchizedek, and I might have butchered that name. We don't know a lot about him. We have no record of his beginning or his end. We know he was a king and he was also a priest. Isn't it interesting how God uses people, even things, foreshadows, types, it's called types of Christ, to begin to plant the idea that one is coming or has come and is coming. Who knows it all? And he's coming for the church, coming for the sons and daughters. He's bought with a price. Why is he the perfect peace priest? Because his blood that was shed was only his blood that could take away the sins of mankind. The blood of goats and calves and other animals that were required in Old Testament would merely cover. Get you by, so to speak. But the blood of Jesus removes the sin, cleanses us, and gives us a new beginning. Amen? The shame is undone. That's point one. Cleansing power. My mother had an aunt who made homemade soap. Right? Aunt Elsie. That good old-fashioned name. Elsie. Elsie would make this soap. I'm sure she had some kind of lye or something. Yeah. It was... It would burn your hands if you played around too much. We would grind this. You remember those little meat grinders? I mean, it's little light ones, aluminum, or 
stainless steel. And guess what would happen? I'd nick my finger. Oh. And then that soap would get in there and burn. Why are you saying that? Well, there's no soap in this world that can clean us up in our sin problem. No laundry, no launder, whatever, detergent, but the blood of Jesus can. And I think we should say, thank you, Lord, for giving your blood. It's the blood of Jesus. It's so powerful that the lowliest of lowest, it's the worst of the worst, and it can be a person can be changed and saved at the last breath, but I don't like people to just live that way. I want people to come now. Go away to your final breath. The, the Bible says, now is the day of salvation. We have so much in Ecclesiastes says, let a young man serve the Lord. Serve the Lord while you're in your youth. Well, some of us are getting past that. But pick it up and keep going. What will keep us young is the Spirit of God in us. And the Spirit of the Lord is our Spirit. This cleansing power will carry us right on to heaven. The blood of Jesus cleanses the vilest. In man's heart, he's thinking, how could they ever be saved? They've done so much. Look at and we're quick to drink judgment. Look on a few more verses before we get to chapter 9 of Hebrews 8. I love these verses. They're taken from, the writer has taken Old Testament, some from Jeremiah. I'll read from verse 8 down. For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant. I love this. A new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers. On the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, they did not continue in my covenant. The problem was disobedience. But this covenant, verse 10, this covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind. And I will write them upon their hearts. And I will be their God. And this, is, this is huge. Because the difference of doing something that is right versus not doing something that is right. If it doesn't come from the heart, it becomes legality, legalism. Just a set of rules. And the problem with that is if we say, well, we've kept this rule, we've kept this rule, we've kept this rule. Therefore, we're okay. The danger is, is that it's not in our heart. And we begin to overlook things. We overlook things. So long as we're keeping Relationship, what does it say? I will write them on their hearts. In other words, they will do what is right because they want to. They want to. It is a part, it becomes a part of their whole being. And be, they begin to walk in a newness 
in a relationship that is because I want to please my father. I've likened it to my own father, my own earthly father. I, I had a hard time ever hurting him. Because he loved God, he loved his family. It, was, it held some anchor in my spirit. There's a relationship. We want to do what we want to do. But see, none of us are going to live perfectly. We just have to test it up. We realize we're not going to live good enough ever on this earth. And the good news is that when we fall, there is a place that the Lord has for us to come back. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me take that a step further. He forgives us. He cleanses us. Doesn't always mean there's not some homework to do. Okay? Just clear that up. We realize that we, we may fall, but we're not hurled headlong, the psalmist said. We're not kicked out. This is kind of a, I think, been a misconception in the church. If I send this sin, I'm not going to make it. The fact that you feel that way is a good thing because your conscience is still working. The problem comes when our conscience gets to a place where we don't care. And we just become seared, it says in one place. The power of the blood of Jesus takes our sin as far as the east is from the west, Psalm 103, verse 10. He removes it. And then David sinned an adulterous sin. King David, who was really a man after God's heart, Prayed later in the psalm, create in me a clean heart. What he was feeling was the shame, the guilt. Thank God for the Holy Spirit who brings conviction. Holy Spirit does not condemn. Let's get that figured out. Holy Spirit does not condemn. He convicts. It convinces and puts it in our heart the desire to change. And not only the desire, he puts in our heart the ability to change. And it takes effort. Oftentimes, it's two steps forward, one step back. We just keep going. If you fall down, get up. The race that we're going to talk about in Hebrews 12. You run, you run, you trip, you keep getting up. You keep getting up. But that power that saved you, that power, the blood of Jesus, is able to keep you. Keep you in your pitfalls. Keep you when you realize I've blown it. You look to Jesus. He will cleanse you, give you a new beginning, give you a new heart. Secondly, I pulled out the thought 
when we're talking about the blood of Jesus, there's a foreshadow in the book of Exodus called the Passover. And if you remember that story, it was with God took his people out of bondage, out of Egypt and slavery, got them out. It took ten plagues. The final plague was the plague of death. And you know what they were? They were to kill a lamb. And they were to apply the blood on the doorpost of their homes because a death angel was going to pass over and kill every firstborn. And that was the blood kept all the Hebrew children as they applied the blood. That's a foreshadow of the blood of Jesus. Some have even said, well, it's likened to a cross, isn't it? The doorpost, the lintel, it's actually a symbol of the cross that was yet to come. This blood that Jesus shared is also like a protecting power, an agent that flows in our life. What do you mean it's a what do you mean it's a protector? What well, protected the Hebrew children from the Passover, the death angel? But in everyday situations, I want to go to Hebrews 9, verses 21. Hebrews is drawing from Old Testament times in the same way he sprinkled both the tabernacle and the vessels of the ministry with the blood. This is chapter 9 of Hebrews. Verse 22, And according to the law, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. So right off the bat in the Garden of Eden, what happened? Adam and Eve sin, right? They gave in. What happened after they sinned? They felt ashamed, right? They ran and hid. When God came down, as he typically did in the evening, to talk with them, he calls for them, and they're not coming out. They're not showing up. And if you recall that story, God asked the questions, where are you? Isn't it interesting how human nature does, want, does not want to confess? I want to hide. May I insert that God already knew? He was trying to get them to be up front. We say, God. God had to have a plan B. No, he didn't have a plan B. God knew this already before he ever created man. He, in fact, he knew Jesus was going to come. It's unbelievable. This protecting power of the blood of Jesus is so powerful that I believe the demons in hell, Satan can't stand it when we talk about the blood of Jesus. When we begin to pray, Lord, we are covered in the blood. We are your vessel. We are your people. We've been bought with a price. We want to honor you. This blood that Jesus shed 
It's ongoing. Revelation 12, 11 says they overcame him. Who's him? Satan. They overcame. Why? How? Because of the blood of the Lamb. And because of the word of their testimony. They did not even love their life. They, they were ready, like, just, it doesn't matter if I die because I win. When they were out preaching the gospel in the book of Acts, they did not even care if it would cost them their life. How does a person get to that place? It's constant recognizing Jesus as a plan. This blood that Jesus shed will never lose its power. And I would say this, if you're ever feeling really afraid, down, remind the enemy that you are his. And plead the blood. What does that mean, plead? We pray this way. Lord, we plead the blood. What does that mean? We're recognizing that the blood that Jesus shed is our covering. And we're welcoming that covering in our home. And Lord, every knee is going to bow someday and confess you are Lord. Every knee, willingly or unwillingly. But I want to be willing now. And I think you do too. To bow your heart, to bow your life before allow him to become center focus. What is the main thing? Chapter 8, verse 1. We have a high priest. Was taking a seat at the what does that mean? He took his seat because he finished the work that was necessary. Now, does that mean Jesus is just sitting up in heaven? Do 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 do. I go to prepare a place for you. He talks that he intercedes for the saints. He's at the right hand of the Father, the place of honor. No one else could that seat. His blood qualified him. His shed blood. And so lastly, the blood of Jesus brings salvation to all those, to anyone who says, I need you, Jesus. He will save anyone who says, Oh, no, I get it. I can't say myself. But what do you do with people who feel like they're not worthy? I've done so many things. I've heard you. Or he's way too busy for me. Or they find excuses. Jesus' blood was for whosoever will. For whosoever will. Not willing that any should perish. That his blood is enough to save the violent. Now, no one wants to talk about this subject of death. 
no one really in our culture. It's kind of like, I know that day will come, but I don't want to talk about it. Guess what? If you have the Lord in your heart, it's a whole lot easier to talk about it. In fact, we don't even have to be afraid of it. And this little verse sits in the end of chapter 9 of Hebrews. This little verse in chapter 9 of Hebrews, verse 27 and 28 calls it an appointment. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. You go like, whoa, what? An appointment with death? Why do we have to die? Why, why is there death? We know sin entered the world. Jesus overcame death. Death. The last enemy Paul talked about in Corinthians is death. Heaven, it's over. No more death. Earth, we have death. Death for believers is merely the beginning of eternal life. I don't want to face this judgment to God without Jesus. So Christ, the next verse, brings comfort. So Christ also having been offered once to bear the sins of many. One offering, many people forgiven. He shall appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin. Look at that. Did you get that? Without reference to sin. The blood has the power to remove our sin. The blood has the power to keep us in right relationship with God. The blood is going to be what God sees as being made righteous. Because Jesus is in our heart. No matter what the world says, or what even other Christians may say, You've got, a, you've got a, a heart, and you and God, you need to talk it over. Talk it over. And listen, what is he saying? What is his word saying? I believe... We don't have to be afraid of death as a believer. I mean, I don't like thinking about it. I don't like thinking maybe the pain about it. I've been there with a few folks. With Jesus, there's a whole lot of peace. He's there with my father. It's just like an airplane coming in for a landing. His heartbeat got shallower and shallower. And it's just like, you knew he was in the presence of God. Yeah, we cried. 
Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? King David was a man of war. He wrote that song. He'd been in a lot of battle. He'd been close to death so many times. And he recognized God was with him. I want to encourage you. If you're afraid, begin to say, Jesus, I need you. That's number one. Number one, I want you. Come, Lord, into my heart. Renew my spirit. Put it in my heart what I'm supposed to do. What is it that you are calling me to do? It may not even, he may not say anything to do. He said, you just, just love me. We make it so hard sometimes. What's the will of God? It's simply love God. Number one, that's just love on him. Just love him. Know him. That thing that you like to do and enjoy, maybe it's a hobby, maybe it's fishing, maybe it's something just doing with your hands. Well, a lot of times that's the barometer of what God wants you to do. If he's gifted you with things that it's, do it. What did God say to David when he wanted to build the temple? You can't build the temple, David. But because it was in your heart, you did well. David, you're not going to build a temple. You're a man of bloodshed. Your son's going to build it. You gather the material. So here's, here's the difference. Here's what comes to the church. It doesn't matter who gets to be in front or gets to do it. Just get the job done. Work together. It's for his glory. Salvation is not what we can do. Salvation is not what we can do. Salvation is what he has done. Accept it. I receive you. Your sacrifice. I receive. I believe what you I believe your death and your resurrection will save. Simple plan.